So if you've been here regularly, you'll know we're in a series in Philippians. Last Sunday morning, I went to the church that our family go to in the States. Bryce and Josh, my two brothers-in-law, drove to the church that they go to. And um, turns out they're going through a series in Philippians. <laughs> and last week, I kind of thought, oh, goody. He preached on chapter 4. Verses 1 and 2. And I went up to him after and said, oh, that's a pity. And then I realized I'm preaching on that next week. Now, I'm preaching on quite a bit more next week than he preached on last week. Uh, but you might hear some of it. And I have to tell you this, right? There were probably, well, there were certainly less than 20 people in the church. It's a tiny church. When the family went, they doubled it in size. It was a pastor's answer to prayer because he was actually thinking he was going to close the church. And then the next day, my brothers-in-law phoned him up and said, we're thinking of coming. And I can tell you this, that is the best sermon I've heard in a while. A very faithful man preaching very faithfully from the God. You don't need lots of people. In fact, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered, there am I. And... Um, we sang hymns out of a hymn book with all the music printed in, which is great for me because it means I can read the part and sing the parts and waffle around in the background. I love that. Very different to today, but faithfully preaching the word in a way that I could never do. You will not hear the same sermon next week because I could not do what that guy did. He's much more of a scholar than me, and he preached in a way that I couldn't do. But you might get some of it next week because it was so good. So be ready for that. But we're, today we're in chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, I'd like to turn to Philippians chapter 3, and we'll get there in just a bit. I recently heard a story that challenged me to the core of my being. It was the story of a Muslim man who had come to know the truth about Jesus. And he had shared his new faith with his family, who also found Jesus. But because this man was an imam... The Muslim chief of the village spoke against him. This is a true story, and it's a recent story. By declaring faith in Jesus and becoming a Christian meant that this man could lose everything, literally everything, since his livelihood was provided by the village chief. So this man prayed for two to three days, after which he said he had the courage to face whatever may come his way. And what he most wanted was Bibles in the language, the local language that he could give to others in his village. Knowing that he could lose everything, his greatest concern was that others might come to know the truth about Jesus. This man had ambition that radically challenges mine. Paul writes this in his letter to the Philippians. So I'm going to read from verse 10 of chapter 3. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, 
Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Paul is an ambitious man. He was, of course, at one time in his life ambitious about persecuting Christians, followers of Christ, people like you and me. But then he met the risen Christ and everything changed. I'm wondering if the same things happened for you. How much changed when you met the risen Christ? Perhaps ambition can be described as the desire to succeed. Seems to me we all want to succeed, don't we? In fact, isn't that what we encourage our children to do? We, we weren't we encouraged to succeed when we were growing up, encouraged to do well, be the best you can be? Paul writes here about ambition, but he doesn't say that ambition is wrong. In fact, far from it. And what he writes here challenges me in the same way that the story of the imam challenges me. John Stott suggests there are only two controlling ambitions to which all others may be reduced. One is our own glory. The second is God's glory. An imam makes God the hero of his story. Paul writes here that he wants God to be the hero of his story. So the question becomes this, friends. Who is the hero of your story? Who is the hero of my story? In verse 10, Paul writes, his ambition is to know Christ. How much do you want to know Christ. Knowing Christ, it seems, has some consequences. Paul says he wants to know the power of Christ at work in his life, verse 10. How much do you want the power of Christ at work in your life? Now, we've already sung about this this morning. Remember that God loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. When I was lost, you came and rescued me. And in the words of that song, it basically says, God can't love me any more than he already does. It doesn't say it quite like that, but that's what it says. You've already sung that. That means that Christ loves you so much that he does not want you to stay as you are. Now, you could interpret that to be a negative thing. Oh, yes, God's always trying to change me. How about understanding this way? He is incredibly ambitious for you because he wants you to reach your redemptive potential. And because of that, he does not want you to stay as you are, which means change. 
The power of Christ at work in us to change us, is that really what we want? In one of the things I've learned through counselling myself and, and being in counselling, being both the person who's being counselled and the counsellor, is there are a lot of people who do not want to change. How about you, friends? Do you want to know the power of Christ at work in your life? And God's love, remember, is never just for you. It is a gift given to be shared. So how much do you really want the power of God in your life to help share that love with others? Paul says that following Christ means sharing in suffering. Oh dear. How much do you really want that? It seems to me that lots of Christians still think that if they follow Christ, he will give them their first choice life. I hear it all the time. How about you? Is that what you think? Paul says he wants to share in Christ's destiny in verse 11. And just as a little aside here, when it says so somehow to attain the resurrection, it's not that you can't quite figure out how that's going to happen. What he's actually saying is I cannot understand why God would want to take me to be where he is. That's what he's saying. Just can't get his head around grace. It's not that he doesn't believe in the resurrection. Absolutely he does. He just can't figure out why God wants to do it. Why does God love me enough to do that? Paul is saying here, though, that he trusts the future to God. So, friends, to whom do you trust the future? Paul is single-minded about his ambition to follow Christ. Verse 13, one thing I do, one thing I do. He's not saying here that he doesn't do anything else or that nothing else is important. What he means is this is my priority. This is number one. And what's your priority, friends? Paul sees it like being, it's an athlete, isn't it? He keeps looking forward and working hard to win the prize. How about you, friends? Somebody once described the Christian life as a long obedience in the same direction. It's easy to give up when it gets hard, but Paul says, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep looking forward, and I'm going to win that prize. So who is the hero of your story, friends? But this is what I find so very challenging. I want to live as Paul describes here, and I'm sure you do. But I have one problem. My problem is that mostly I want to be the hero of my story. When I write a sermon, and it happened as I wrote this one, I want it to be a sermon where you will say, oh, isn't Ian a great speaker? Actually, it's worse than that. Because I want you to think of me 
as a great communicator of the powerful word of God. I want to be the hero. And my problem is bigger than sermons. Because my hero wears a thousand different faces. My glittering image must be preserved at all costs because I want to be the hero. Wanting to be the hero of my story leads me to think, speak, act, and live for my glory. And Paul reminds me that there is a bigger and a better story, one with a different hero. But friends, the battle is a real one for me. And my best guess is it's a very real battle for you too. I think I can learn from this story of a guy called Mo. Carlton Hayes, a magnificently chiseled athlete in his early 20s, six foot three, 185 pounds, bounces on a trampoline, flashing an irresistible bright waist smile. A crowd has gathered. He switches to, to a skipping rope, a dazzling display of coordination, agility, and grace. The onlookers cheer, praise God, the athlete shouts. Meanwhile, Mo, one of his retinue of attendants, approaches with a glass of Lucasade. In his early 50s, Mo is five foot four and paunchy. He wears a rumpled suit, shirt open at the collar, tie askew. Mo has thinning silver hair matted and extending from his temples to the back of his head where it disappears in a clump of grey-black hair. This little attendant is unshaven. His bulbous jowls and one glass eye cause the spectator's eyes to dart away. Pathetic little twerp, says one man. Just an obsequious starstruck hanger-on, adds another. Mo is neither. His heart is buried with Christ in his father's love. He moves unselfconsciously through the crowd and extends the Lucasade gracefully to the hero. He is as comfortable as a hand in a glove with his servant role. That is how Jesus first revealed himself to Mo and transformed his life. Mo feels safe with himself. That night, Carlton Hayes will deliver the main address at the banquet of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, who are attending from all 50 states. He will also be honoured with a Waterford Crystal Cup as the first eight-time Olympic gold medalist. 5,000 people gather at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Glitterati from the world of politics, sport and show business are scattered through the room. As Hayes steps to the podium, the crowd is just finishing a sumptuous meal. The speaker's address abounds with references to the power of Christ and unabashed gratitude to God. Hearts are touched. Men and women weep unashamedly, then give a standing ovation. But behind the glossy delivery, Carlton's vacant stare reveals that his words do not inhabit his soul. Stardom has eroded his presence with Jesus. Intimacy with God has faded into the distance. The whispering spirit has been drowned by the deafening sound of applause. Buoyed by success and the roar of the crowd, the Olympic hero moves easily from table to table. He ingratiates himself with everyone, from the waiters to the movie stars. Back at the Red Roof Inn, Mo eats his frozen TV dinner alone. He was not invited to the banquet at the Ritz-Carlton because, quite honestly, he wouldn't fit in. Surely it wouldn't be fitting for a pot-bellied, glass-eyed, twerpy attendant to pull up a chair with the likes 
of Ronald Reagan, Charlton Heston and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mo sits down at the table in his room and closes his eyes. The love of the crucified Christ surged within him. His eyes fill with tears. Thank you, Jesus, he whispers as he peels the plastic top off his microwaved lasagna. He flips to Psalm 23 in his Bible. Mo has made Christ the hero of his story. Who is the hero of your story, friends? Chapter 3, verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have as a model for us, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For I as often told you, and before so I told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Perhaps another way of saying those words might be this. In Silicon Valley lived a busy, important man. He worked really hard, so hard he worked really long days and sometimes weekends. He worked so hard that his occupation had become his preoccupation. Even when he wasn't working, he was thinking about it. His wife tried to remind him that he had a family but he was only vaguely aware of them. He knew he was missing them growing up, but he was busy and he was having fun. And anyway, the, when the business world settled down, he would have more time for them and the things he wanted to do with them. But, of course, things never did settle down, not in the business world. He wanted to enjoy what his hard work had earned him, and why shouldn't he? So he bought bigger cars, which had to be driven, faster boats that had to be sailed, more houses which had to be lived in. He knew he wasn't taking care of his body, but business people plied him with good food and drink, and he needed to impress them, keep them on side. And he could see a doctor any time he wanted. He just didn't want to. And then came the opportunity of a lifetime to make the company secure. So he put his heart and soul into making the company all he had dreamt it could be. After this, he would be able to retire and spend all his time doing the things he really loved. The cars, the boats, the houses, and of course, his family. That night, he told his wife, this is it. When I'm done with this business move, we are set for life. We'll have all the money we need to do whatever we want, wherever we want. I've covered every base. Life will be great. When 3 a.m. came and he had not come to bed, his wife went to see where he was. He was still at his computer, his head on the desk. She went to wake him, but he did not respond. She felt panic run through her body and frantically dialed 999. The paramedics arrived too late to save him from his massive heart attack. 
His funeral was well attended by business colleagues who spoke highly of his achievements and successes. His obituary in the Times listed his value on the stock exchange and measured his career against others of his ilk. I wonder how much he left, murmured a friend at the service. He left it all, of course. Everybody always does. They called him the hero of the company, the one who made it what it was, who had the vision and the drive and the ambition. His headstone was marble and huge. God looked down from heaven. He had his own word for this great man. Fool. You stored up much treasure, but whose will they be? You'll have realized, of course, that I just rewrote the words that Jesus said. Jesus called this man a fool. This man didn't set out deliberately to be like he was, to neglect his wife and family. He didn't set out to be greedy or preoccupied with himself. He simply wanted to be the hero of his story. So he devoted himself to the wrong things. Jesus called him a fool. Paul would describe him and people like him as enemies of the cross. Both say there is a better way. Jesus says, store up treasure in heaven. Paul reminds us that we are citizens of heaven. Friends, there is a bigger and a better story than the one we see in front of us. And the far bigger and the far better story is God, well, the one where God is the hero of the story. But we have a choice. If we choose to be the hero of the story and build our life around that story, God will one day say, you fool. But if we choose to make God the hero of our story, we will one day hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of the Lord. So who will be the hero of your story?